the young people, ages 17 to 21. And, um, you know, one of the things that my prayer working in there to be to influence them, to encourage them, to help them out, um, not only in the physical, not only in planning and education, but also in the spiritual. Um, and that's been my prayer. And specifically this year, looking at last year, saying, you know, well, I could do this differently. I could maybe have different tactics. And um, I remember at the beginning of this year, um, one of the teachers uh, didn't come into school and it was a last minute, Mr. Nieves, can you sub in for this class? I'm like, sure, is there any material? No, there's no material. The teacher forget, didn't leave it. You just gotta go in there and just kinda make sure that they're not going crazy. And in alternative high school, that is impossible. And I remember, okay, well, what's, what's the subject? World studies. And so quickly, on my feet, I'm like, okay, what can I do? What world studies? I'm like, oh, wait. I went on a mission trip to India and Nepal. Maybe I can talk about maybe the culture and I can tie it in, maybe give them a little bit of Jesus. And so I go into that class and I remember I was just sharing like the first thing I did, man, guys, I, I'm not your teacher and I don't know much of this topic, but this is my experience with, you know, traveling the world. And I went on a mission trip and right there I, I noticed that some people were listening. Um, but then there was this one student particularly that, you know, uh, took a liking to that word missions trip and he's like wait 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 you talking about religion and instead of being bold and instead of being like yeah I'm talking about Jesus I was just like I'm actually talking about my experience traveling around the world and so I backed down I was like man I missed my opportunity this past week um, we have these opportunities for students to go out to job trainings and things like that and I took three students and one of the students that I took was that student that you know, kind of challenged, kind of said, you know, uh, what are you talking about religion? And um, it's just the way God works. And I had an opportunity to share the faith with this young man. And in a moment of just having me and him in the car with two other students, I was just letting it rip. I'm like, this is who Jesus is. I even put it on Jesus culture. I had some students in the back, amen to me, because she goes to like, she's a gospel, uh, she's on a gospel choir. And, um, you know, I had not only just one opportunity, but two opportunities. And I wish I could say that the young man gave his life to the Lord, but he was asking so many questions. It wasn't just like, a, what about this? He was like, I, I'm really seeking. And, you know, the, the verse that I want to share with you guys is found in 1 Corinthians 9. It's something that we've been going in our um, adult Bible, um, uh, sorry, uh, adult life group on Fridays. Uh, we've been going through the book of uh, Corinthians. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22 and 23. It says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. After sharing my faith with that young man, I'm driving home and I'm like, man, how, that was awesome. You know, I was just in tears, just listening to music. And I'm like, God, you're so good. And such a blessing it was to share the, my faith and being encouraged and knowing that at the beginning of this year, God, I want to share my faith. Use me in different ways. And he has. And, and it's just a blessing. And that's my testimony this morning. You know, so I want to encourage you guys to, to continue to press in and in your places of work or family. Um, you know that God meets us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this. Uh, today, God, I thank you for this uh, church that we can come together and just experience your presence, God, and get to learn more about you. Uh, God, we pray for this morning that you would bless everyone here. Father, whether it's their first time listening to the message, God, that they would be saved, Lord, do a mighty work in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 
today, God. We want you to lift up, God. Lift up the name of Jesus. We want to lift you up, God. Hallelujah. How many of you guys are awake this morning? Come on, if you're awake, I want you to make your way up to the front. Come on, if you're ready to worship the Lord, come on, make up your way to the front this morning. This song is called Wake. So I want us to wake up this morning and start worshiping him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Come on, can you lift up a shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Come on, sing this out. Break of day and hope we rise. Speak your name. We lift our eyes. Tune our hearts to your beat where we walk. With fire in our Jesus this morning, we want you to shine so brightly, Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, sing it again, at break of day, at break of day, in hope we rise, we speak your name, we lift up to our hearts, to our hearts, to your beat, where we want, you be. With fire in our eyes, with fire in our eyes, our lives align. Your love untamed, blazing out. The streets will glow forever bright. Your glory. Come on, every voice, see it out. You will. You will never fade away. Your love is here to stay by my side. Come on, we believe that. You will. You will never fade away. Your love. you this morning. Come on, we want you to light up this place with your presence. We love you, Lord. Come on, sing this part forever. Say forever. 
Can you close your eyes right now and say, God, we want to be in your love. We want to walk in your love. Jesus, we want to feel your love in this place. We lift up you, God. We lift up your name. We lift up you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, can you lift up your voice? Come on, your voice this morning. We want to feel your presence, Jesus. We want to walk with you, Lord. We want to feel you close. We want to feel you close, Jesus. Yeah, I'm forever with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We want to feel you close, God. Hallelujah, God. We bless your name, Jesus. Lift up your name, God. We love you, Lord. Come on, sing this. We want to be. We want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real and death is a to hear voices of angels above singing as the one come on sing that again I want to be close I want to be close sing it out sing close to your side heaven so heaven is real and death is I want to hear voices I want to hear voices Above, singing and one hallelujah, hallelujah. 
the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the soon coming king. He is the author of your faith. He's the savior that reigns. He's glorious and he deserves our praise. Can you lift up your voice this morning? To him this morning. Can you worship him?
not your own. He paid, he paid for you.
an honor to worship you this morning. Father, I think that you see beyond the outer appearance, and your word says that you search the mind and the hearts, dear God. You know the depths of our hearts, and there's nothing that we can hide from you, dear God. You know our deepest, darkest secrets, dear God. You know our fears. You know our strengths. You know our abilities. You knit us together in our mother's womb, dear God, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your presence. God, we thank you that you find value in us, dear God, so much that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins. God, for that we could never thank you enough, God. But I pray for a revelation this morning of how great that love is, dear God. How deep and how wide that love is, dear God. That you would give up your one and only son for us. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody praise him this morning. Praise him for new life. Praise him that he holds your sin as far as the east is from the west. Praise him that your sin was once as red but he's washed you as white as snow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Come on, one more time. We're going to sing this song. We're going to praise the one who paid our debt. children to the back. Your Sunday school teacher is ready for you. Everyone else, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1, I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. That's why we come, right? We come because of Jesus. We come because he has transformed us. And others are here because we know, your loved ones know that you need Jesus to transform you. There's no one good enough. There's not one. We all need a Savior. Muhammad did not die for us. Buddha did not die for us. Your mother and your father did not die for you. It's Jesus Christ and him alone who gave his one and only life for you and I. And without him, we are sinners. We stand condemned already. 
from the time that we're little kids, we have that sinful nature. Something inside of us tells us to rebel, tells us to make our own way and to go against the things that are right. But God saw value in us. He is the potter and we are the clay. And he said, I don't need you, but I want you. But because of sin, there was a gap between us and him. And he came to close that gap through Jesus Christ and him alone. And right now as we read through 1 Corinthians 15, here's Paul is writing to a church that he helped establish in Corinth. And he is encouraging them and he's correcting them and he's rebuking them in this beautiful letter. Not because they're so far from God, but because he knows that they're right there where they need to be. There needs to be growth. There needs to be teaching. There needs to be encouragement. I'm going to start in verse 1. And he's telling them this. He doesn't call them sinners. He doesn't, he doesn't yell at them or rebuke them. What does he call them right there? He says, now brothers and sisters. In verse 1, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. He says, I want to remind you of this gospel, which you once believed. I want you to hold on to it, because it's not good enough to just believe once, at one time, and to say, hey, I prayed that sinner's prayer. I said I believed back then, but I don't know if it means anything today. He says, I want you to hold on to it. Verse 3, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Amen? Why did Christ die? because he was a sinful man, because he committed a crime that he didn't know. He was sinless, and he died for our sins. Just like the song we were just singing, he paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a debt that he did not owe, and that debt belonged to us. And he says, I will give my life so that you can be forgiven. And he rose again on the third day, defeating death on that cross defeating the works of the devil on that cross so that you and I are without excuse. So when we're walking this walk, brothers and sisters, we can hold on firmly to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Don't hold on to what's going on in your life. Don't hold on to what is temporal. Hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hold on firmly knowing that your Savior, God Almighty, took on flesh to die on the cross for your sins. And today, if you do not know him, the Bible says all you have to do is put your faith, your trust, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross for your sins. Confess it with your mouth and just walk it out. Amen. If that's you and you say, I know I need Jesus, I know I'm far from him, we're going to have some altar workers up here who want to pray with you so that you today can receive eternal life and you can hold on to the teachings of Christ Jesus. And if you're a brother and a sister in this room and you're struggling, you're saying, I don't know what's going on in my faith, I want you just to hold on. I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to know that God has something for you and he didn't die for you just because he had nothing else. He died because he saw worth and value in each and every one of us. 
You're not rejected by God. You're going through a season, but God says your season will be over soon if you hold on to the teachings. Hold on to that gospel. Amen. I want to pray this morning that if someone in this room doesn't know Jesus, you're saying, I'm too far. You're not too far. The devil is a liar. You're right where you need to be. Your eyes need to be open and just draw closer to God. He is full of mercy and full of love to all those who come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you, God. We thank you for your truth. God, on this morning, we want to hold on to the gospel. God, we want to hold on to the truth that Jesus Christ died for us sinners, dear God. But that you rose on the, on, on the third day, dear God. You defeated sin. You defeated the works of the enemy. You defeated death. You paid the price for us, dear God. And I pray for that truth, dear God, to be penetrated into our hearts this morning. Father, that all across this room we would walk victoriously, dear God, because we are found by you, because we are saved in Jesus' name. I pray that in this room disciples would arise, men and women who would lay down their lives for this gospel, dear God. Just like our brother Paul laid down his life for you, dear God, I pray that we would do the same thing. Father, I pray, dear God, that men and women of God would sacrifice their lives, dear God, because they know you. That disciples, pastors, dear God, ministers of the gospel would rise, dear God, and change this world for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. God is good. And he's doing something mighty in our lives. So I just praise him for each and every person present here. Right now we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is, as believers, we see life through these statements, these truths, these biblical truths. And so we declare them, and we declare them at the top of our lungs, all right? We want God to hear us pro proclaim it, right? And we want the enemy to shudder as he hears God's saints proclaiming this truth. Amen. On the count of three, one, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Amen. Why don't you take some time right now to greet your neighbor, fellowship for the next few minutes of union prayer. We have our prayer workers up here for you.
who's excited to be in church this morning, make some noise. Welcome to Metro Praise International. We are so excited to have you join us today to worship with us. Give her a high five as we wait for everybody to take their seats. Good to have you guys this morning. Our main services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate at 7 p.m. Teenagers coming out, rocking it out for Jesus. If this is your first time here, we would love to welcome you. So if you could just raise your hand. Let's give it up for all of our first-time visitors. Clap it up for them this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. We are excited about all that God is doing in our midst. We have some special announcements. First, I want to present to you our Thanksgiving outreach. It is upon us. So we are excited. We want you guys to be excited. And we want you to meet us here on Thanksgiving morning, okay? So look to your neighbors. Say, meet us here at 930. So November 27th, Thanksgiving morning, we're going to meet here. And we're going to go all together to the West Side Outreach. And we're going to meet at Universal MB Church and be there to serve with them, to feed the community uh, street witness out uh, out in front of the church and just be a blessing and help them serve and love on people. How many of you guys want to love on people this Thanksgiving? Come on. And then we have another very, very exciting announcement, our Christmas party. Woo! Metro Praise International Christmas Party. We are so excited about it. It's going to be a Sunday service, December 21st at 10 a.m. And these are some of the things that we're going to have. We're going to have a Christmas talent show. So anybody who wants to be a part of the Christmas talent show can be a part of it. If you have a talent to sing, dance, do whatever you want, please talk to Ishmael, and he will put you up in the schedule. And then we're going to have free family portraits, children gifts, and baptisms. If you want to get baptized or if you know somebody that would like to get baptized or getting their life right with God, please speak to Pastor Berto about the baptisms. So we are just so pumped. Let's come with enthusiasm. Let's come energized. Let's bring our friends and family who don't know the Lord. And let's just get excited about celebrating Jesus. Amen? Come on. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. We want to love God. We want to love people. Our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to Jesus, connect you to our church through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. If you could please turn your handouts around, the, little, the handout that you received. We have all of our information of where our life groups meet and what they're meeting about, what categories they're in. And this is just a snapshot of what's happening this week because we like to kind of just highlight uh, what's going on week to week when you guys come on Sundays. So today we have our single moms meeting. Come on, make some noise, single mamas. They're meeting at 5 p.m. Child care is always included. We have our two adult Bible studies this Friday meeting, one at the Goveas, one at the Walkers, both at 7 p.m. Both child care uh, is provided at both of them, and then 18 years and up. And then we have our Saturday evangelism. All ages meet here at 5 o'clock, and let's get ready to go out and preach the gospel with fire. Amen. How many of you guys have been seeing, seeing those pictures of the MPI evangelism team? They are powerful. We're winning our city for Jesus, preaching the gospel, being light into the darkness. So if you've never done that, we want to encourage you and challenge you to get out there and build up your faith by street preaching because that is, that is just a call that we have to go forth and preach and be a part of the Great Commission. And it takes us getting out of our comfort zone, getting out of the four walls, and going and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to our city. Come on. And then we want to mentor you. So we want to mentor you through our 101 book. We have leaders ready to take you through this. This is called Welcome to Your New Life. 
So whether you're new to the Lord, new to your Christian walk, new to the church, or you've been serving the Lord for a long time and you're just coming saying, hey, I want to get plugged in. We want to get you plugged in through the 101 with our leaders. And then after you graduate that, we take you to the 201 class. This book is called Disciples That Make Disciples. And we meet every Sunday mornings with Pastor Jared. And this is our leadership training class where we equip you to defend the gospel, to live holy, to live humble. All these uh, precious things that we should have in our life as believers that we need to be aware of and, sh and encouraged in and equipped for all that's coming against us in society today. So that is our mentorship class. Uh, 201, and we want to send you out to preach the gospel, to win souls, and our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 churches around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace, say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you guys are excited to give this morning? Let's review our lesson. Again, we're in section four of the Disciples Giving book, lesson five. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 6, 9. The lesson will be up on the screen, and you could also go to um, givingbook.org or the MPI website, mpichurch.org. You could find it there as well. Lesson five today is overcoming fatigue. The definition for a hindrance is a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's command. And section four of the Disciples Giving book is overcoming hindrances in our life that keep us from being generous givers. So we're going to talk about the hindrance of fatigue today. Let's read in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Say, we will. We will if we do not give up. It doesn't say maybe you might, kind of, sort of. It says we will reap a harvest, but we cannot give up. Let's read the main points from that passage of scripture. Number one, are you getting tired of doing good? Ask yourself that question and be honest. The Bible is clear that not only are we to not give up doing good, but we are never to allow ourselves to get fatigued in doing good. It is not good enough to just serve God out of obligation. God wants your service to him to come from a heart of joy. And that goes back to what I explained last week about how it's not out of religi a religiosity, but it's through a relationship with him because we love him. Number two, do you doubt God's timing? Impatience is a form of pride because we want God to do things our way in our timing. However, true faith trusts God, even when you don't understand his ways. Remember, God's blessings may not come when you want them to, but they are always on time. And just putting this in the reference of having a relationship, see, when people say, I tried that Jesus stuff, but it didn't work out, they were in it just for the benefits. How many of you guys have been in a relationship just for the benefits? They were not into you. Listen, we have to be into Jesus, and Jesus is already into us. So if you're in it just for the benefits because you want what you want when you want it, this Jesus thing won't work for you because it's not your way, it's his way. So we have to do it his way all the time, not give up, not grow weary, and then we will experience the full life that God has for us. But we have to be humble about it. Number three, do you think your harvest is not coming? Fatigue and weariness sets in when you lose sight of God's promises. It happens when all you see is your sacrifices and not the heart of God for your life. Don't allow your present circumstances to dictate your identity. Praise God and be faithful at all times 
in sowing and reaping. How many of you guys are happy that you get to be in a relationship with God this morning? Here's the summary. Make the joyful choice to not become tired in serving God with your finances. Why don't you guys stand up with me this morning? Let's clap it up. Make a joyful noise as you decide that you're going to be a generous, joyful giver unto the Lord because you love him and that you know that he loves you. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have, if you have allowed yourself to become tired and impatient in your giving. Number three, ask God to give you his strength and joy to never grow weary or give up. And let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Amen. Let's prepare to give our tithes and offerings this morning. Again, we believe that our tithes is a 10% of our total income. So that means if we have $100 coming through our hands, 10% belongs to the Lord. And we always teach, you know what? 100% is his already. We have what we have because of him. So we're going to be faithful to give him 10%. And anything above that here at MPI goes towards our offerings in two different places, missions or building. And currently we are in a missions uh, uh, fundraising because we're going to the Philippines in the summer 2015. And you guys have been faithful. Thank you so much for all of you guys that have that heard from the Lord, that were faithful all year through, and we're finishing that up. Come to the end of December, we will finish out that missions offering, and by God's grace, we will beat the 20,000 to the T or then some. Come on, because God likes to get us to overflowing. So we thank you, thank you so much. Let's finish out this year strong, and let's just prepare to give. Let's read this together. Acts 20, 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your generosity. Lord, we are generous because you were generous first with the life of your son. And we thank you, God, for giving us your abundant life. And I pray that we will all be humble in our approach to finances and putting you first, God, that we would trust you, not trust our own understanding or our circumstances, but that we would trust you, your heart, and your ways to know that you will come through for us if we do not give up, that we will reap a harvest and reap your promises over our lives. So I pray a blessing over every person here, over every marriage, every single person, every family, their jobs, God, their positions in school. I just pray for favor, prosperity, and an increase, God, in all that they do. And bless MPI, God, in all that we're doing in this city so that we can win this nation and the nations for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning.
Amen, amen. How many are ready to learn about your identity in Christ? Make some noise. Amen. Welcome this morning to MPI Church. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In the middle of a series, your identity in Christ, we are chugga, chugga, choo, choo along this series. It's a great series. It's a fun series. It should change your life kind of series. Are y'all getting changed and rearranged and some of you being encouraged? All right, all right. Let's let's look at this scripture. Now, last week, I tried to get to the message, but I couldn't leave the introduction. So I've got to get through the introduction and then get to the message. How many believe I can do it today? You all believe I can do it? Like some of you are doubtful. Some of you are doubtful, I can tell. Well, you know, the whole part, the, the point of the introduction is the really the foundation of the message. At this point, for the rest of the year, by the way, if you don't know, we're going to do it for the rest of the year, this, ser- this sermon series. Uh, the introduction really laid the foundation. Now, every other week, I'm just going to be adding to that. Uh, and I think if you've got the introduction, you can get everything else. And uh, I got some cool messages I want to talk about. But before I get into this introduction, how many saw the movie 12 Years a Slave? Okay, because now I think I've got the best example for this entire sermon series. I, got, I think I got the best example. Remember I tried to use the Coming to America example? And some like three of you only remember that movie. Okay. And then I think I tried to do the Princess Diaries example. And like nobody got that one. Okay. I think I got this example right here. This is a good movie, 12 Years a Slave. Now I just want to see how many of y'all saw this movie. Raise your hand. Oh, okay. So I don't know. Do I need to play the movie? Do we need to play movies here to catch you up on examples? No, I'm kidding. Okay. Let me just tell you about the story, and maybe this example will set in. Everybody say this. I am who God says I am, and I can do what God said I can do. Okay, that's the whole part of this series. And what we're learning is that a lot of times Christians have identity crises. They don't know who they are. You know, God says they're one thing. They believe they're another thing. And so I try to use this example of coming to America. Eddie Murphy, he's a prince. He comes to America, and he wants to fall in love. He wants to meet a woman that loves him for who he is and not for being a prince. So he starts to work at McDowell's, which is like a take on McDonald's, okay? And and the point is, is that he's not really who he says he is. And then uh, Arsenio Hall is his, like, servant. And they have these funny, awkward things that happen because Arsenio Hall keeps trying to live like he did when he was with him in the palace. And he puts like a jacuzzi in like his apartment in Brooklyn or the Bronx. Where was it at? Or Queens or Harlem. I think I just named all the boroughs of New York right there. It's something what you do when you're nervous and you have a microphone because I still get nervous sometimes. Anyways, um, so he's, he's in New York and he's living this life. It's fake and there's all these uh, like things that happen. And, and at the end, the girl that he's fallen in love with, uh, she finds out who he is and there's this like this big reveal moment. The dad is there. Okay. Now, I think I have a better example about identity crisis, and it's this movie, 12 Years a Slave, okay? And it is probably the most uh, intense, realistic movie I have ever seen. It is intense. I mean, I had to look away at different times. It has to do with the, the slave trade and African Americans, and it is just, it is horrible how they're getting treated. I mean, like, I just wanted to jump through the screen and punch these white, like, like plantation owners and be like, come here, Billy. 
whoosh, and just slap him. You know, I just, I was getting so fired up, you know. And then at the same time, I started to feel, and by the way, my ancestors didn't come here till around 1900 and something. Because, like, you know, I'm Polish and Italian. So, so I wasn't there, okay. Don't blame it on me. I wasn't messing with Kuta Kinte and this man, okay. Y'all looking at me like, he's the gringo. It's his fault. Y'all going to, like, crucify me. I wasn't even here, okay. My people at that time in the 1800s were in farms in Poland and Italy. That's where my people were at, okay. They weren't hurting nobody. So keep me out of it. anyway. But anyways, just because I have light skin and I was watching this, man, it was like times, like I just, I just wanted to like stop the movie and like call up one of my African-American friends like Adam and be like, dude, can I take you out for lunch? I just like, I just want to do something for you. Come on over to my house and I'll give you some clothes or something. Like I'll give you something. Like I just felt like I had to do something to make up for what Whitey did. Is anybody with me? Okay, anyways, but here is the whole, in, this is the whole point of the movie. This is brilliant for this sermon series. Y'all got to get this right here. So the African-American's name is Solomon Northrup, and he's born in New York as a free man, okay? Now, this is during the time of the, the slave trade, and the North is free, and the South is still practicing, you know, slavery. But he was born free. He's a free man. He has a home. He has a business, uh, I mean, a, a living that he makes through playing music, beautiful children. I mean, he's living the quote-unquote American dream. Now, in the movie, is it okay if I spoil it for y'all? Okay, I'm going to spoil it anyway because y'all should have watched the movie by now, okay? I'm always the last one to see movies. So, anyways, um, so he's, he's like, he's living this life, and he's playing music. That's his big thing. And these guys come to him, and they're saying, hey, why don't you come with us? We're, we'll tour the country, and then you can make some money, and, and, you know, you'll have a good time. Your name will get out there. And he goes with these guys, and guess what they do? They sell him into slavery. And, I mean, I'm just telling you, the first scene of when he gets drugged, he's, like, at a meal, and he gets drugged, and he gets woken up, like he's chained up like a slave, like locked up in one of these rooms, you know. And, and the guy comes in, it's so powerful, this white, okay, the white guy's the bad guy in the scene, okay. And they got their southern accent, so I'm going to do the southern accent. And he walks in, and he says, and, uh, and, and the guy's chained up, and Solomon's like, he's like, uh, Man, what are you doing to me? I'm a free man. And the, and, the, and the white guy's like, you're nothing but a Georgia runaway slave. And then they get into this discussion. He's like, no, I'm a free man. And then he slaps him and starts beating him and tells him, no, you are a Georgian runaway slave. And literally for the next 12 years, this whole movie is based on this guy being called Platt. His name's not even Platt, it's Solomon. And him getting shipped around to these different plantations in the south. And by the way, I was just in New Orleans a couple weeks ago and drove by these plantations, okay? The sugar canes and everything, that's what he's doing. He's like getting the sugar cane and cotton and all of that. And um, I just want to tell you, this is the idea that I got about us as Christians, Okay. Christians. These are Christian people. My, is anybody here born again a Christian here? Okay. So it's like the devil comes to us and he says, you're not a born again believing conquering saint of God. You're just a sinner. And I'm going to chain you to sin and addiction. I'm going to tell you who your identity is. Dude, I'm so serious. I feel like that is what so many of us are going through. And we are literally letting the devil mess us up. But you know what this guy did, Solomon? He's like my hero, man. I just, 
oh, I love this guy. I love this. He beats up one of the white people. It's like one of my favorite parts. I'm just like, yes, beat him up. Beat him, black man. Beat that white man. So serious. And so anyways, then there's this other part, and this is like more motivation to grow my hair out long because Brad Pitt makes the cameo, like the star of the show. He has Brad Pitt has like this long hair, and he's from Canada, and he basically is the guy who takes Solomon's story back to New York and says, hey, you, you guys have been missing this guy, Solomon. I know where he's at. He's a slave in New Orleans. Come and get him. And so once again, Brad Pitt was the hero, and that's awesome, right? No, I'm just kidding. But Brad Pitt, he's a hot. You got to give him credit. Some people are hot, some are not, but that's okay, right? We all make we all make do with what we got. That rhymes. Some people are hot, some people are not. We all make do with what we got. Okay, that's why I'm doing what I got to do. I got living. I'm, this is my midlife crisis, long flowing hair right now. This is what I got to do. Okay. Anyways, so. Then there's this part at the end, and one of his friends, like the store owner guy, Mr. Parker, who he would always frequent the shop, and his wife would buy more than he wanted her to. And it's like that little thing that they had going on at the beginning of the movie at this store. And Mr. Parker comes all the way down there, and there's like a sheriff, and, and uh, the slave owner's all there on this plantation. And um, uh, Miss, the, the, the sheriff is saying to Solomon, do you recognize this guy? Talking about Mr. Parker who came down to claim him and say, this is a free man. And he's like, yeah, that's Mr. Parker. And then Mr. Parker and him run together. And then the slave owner runs up and goes, no, 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 that's my slave. And then the Mr. Parker goes, no, this is not a slave. This is a free man. No, this is my inn and calls him that inward. This is my inn and his name is Platt. And the guy goes, no, 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 this is Solomon Northrop. He's a well-to-do man in New York. And can I just tell you, I want to be that person today. I want to be this person that comes to the devil and say, no, 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 devil. You don't know who they are. I know who these people are. These people belong to the most high God. They are children of a king. They are saints. They are born again. Amen. Can I be that guy today? I want to be that person just ringing in your ear saying, I know who you are. And this is the thing. We've got to have that moment. We've got to have that bromance. We've got to have that running together. You've got to believe what I'm saying, though. Because I'm telling you, at the end, and this slave owner's grabbing a hold of him, it was almost like what they call Stockholm Syndrome, when you almost believe the identity of your torturers. Like sometimes you see these people converting to Islam while they're getting beheaded, you know. It's like you capitulate to, to your oppressor sometimes. And you could see this slave owner trying to like hold on to him, going, no, 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 you're plant. You made promises to me. You were going to plant this field. You're plant, you know. And, and I feel like some of you are having that tug of war like am I going to believe who God said I am and what my friend is saying that I am or am I going to believe what the devil says that I am and so I want you just to slap that slave owner that movie would have ended so perfect if he just would have I am Solomon Northrop and then just you know walked away but ain't nothing wrong with a backhand amen spiritually speaking that is a spiritual backhand how many want to pimp slap the devil amen how many are happy you heard that today in church? You probably wouldn't have heard that anywhere else. Pimp slap the devil. That's a coin phrase. You can put it on a T-shirt. Just give me a little royalties from that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Let's go back to that scripture. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is the whole scripture that the sermon series is based on. Did you all enjoy that example? 
Okay, because now I got an example to work with here. No more uh, coming to America or Princess Diaries. But my wife could probably preach that Princess Diaries example. You could probably, and then there was the princess, but she didn't know she was a princess. And she was, I could see it. I could so see it. That is the right movie, Princess Diaries, right? Okay. And it, Anne Hathaway? All right. All my ladies on that one. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's read together. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let's read it out. The new living translation. One, two, three. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Let's look at these reviews real quick. The reviews are for... You, we review for you. Look at your neighbor. Say, this is for you. Come on, everybody needs this right here. Here are the three messages summarized, very simply summarized. By the way, notes are always online, mpichurch.org, mpichurch.org. You can always find our notes online or the Facebook page. Two types of people you got to know in the world. There's either sinners and saints. Sinners are those who have not been born again. Saints are those who have been born again. If you have not been born again, you remain in that category of sinner. Only those who are born again get to switch categories. So there's not a middle category for religions, like different religions. Well, my religion taught me this. It doesn't matter. If somebody said a different definition of gravity, would that change gravity? Okay, so it doesn't change the fact. Opinion doesn't change the fact. The fact is that there are sinners and saints. And if you're not born again, you remain a sinner. Now, the second thing that we spent a lot of time on last week is that as Christians, as saints, and I like that term way better than Christian, but I want to speak the language that some of you can recognize. As born-again believers, people who would say, I love Jesus, you know, there are two ways you can live. God doesn't intend you to live another, uh, the wrong way, but you can live a wrong way in the Christian life. And that is called a worldly Christian, a carnal believer. And that passage is found in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Turn there with me quickly, and I believe I can really go through this um, this introduction fast here today, but I want everyone to see this again because this is not something that uh, necessarily we feel comfortable with, like especially as pastors. I, I would just like to say it's either, you know, holiness or hell, and, and I totally believe with that in some ways. I know I scared some of you right there, but that was like a saying we used to say back in the South, holiness or hell, brother, you know, and it's like, woo, scares you a little bit. But if you're holy, you know what I'm saying, if you like drink lemon juice and you don't have fun in life, you're like, amen, you know, I'm holy. You know, I don't watch TV or movies or celebrate birthdays. Or anything. You know, that would be crazy. Could you even imagine that being so holy? You don't celebrate Christmas or birthdays or anything. Women can't wear pants. Could you, could you imagine being that holy? That's actually not holiness. What do we call that? Religion. But that's what we used to think back in the day. Some of y'all can relate to that. Does anybody know about women not cutting their hair? Has anybody heard about that in Pentecostal churches? And then they would put their hair in buns, right, and they would come like that. And then they felt Jesus. They would dance around and shake like that. And then what would happen? Hair would fall down. They would get out of their bondage. Y'all get out of their bondage. The hair would come down. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, most of y'all have just been one to the Lord. This is like all you know. Like I talk about like religious backgrounds. You're like, man, I don't even understand that. My pastor's always been crazy because I've been your only pastor. And that's awesome for most of you, amen. But I got to every now and then touch back into some people's religious past, amen. It makes some sense there. Okay, look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Here it is. If you're there, say I'm there. Thank you. You are still worldly. So he is addressing saints. Saints are the holy people of God. They've been born again. But he's saying to them, you are still worldly. 
He is not telling them that they're no longer in Christ. Now, I do believe that a Christian, a saint, can backslide and become a sinner again. I do believe that. But that doesn't mean this has happened here because he starts the letter in 1 Corinthians by addressing them as saints. We've already heard a passage preached for the, uh, the gospel portion where he calls them brothers and sisters. He addresses them with the, uh, the term of fellowship. But what is it saying? It's saying that as a Christian, you can have an identity crisis and be worldly. And how do worldly people live? First John says that the love of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That is the worldly way of living. You live by what your flesh desires, what your eyes see and lust after, and what your prideful will wills to do. You don't do anything that you don't want to do because you're in charge of your own life. That is the worldly way, and that's what he's calling him. He says, you are still worldly, and then now he gives evidence of that. He says, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? So this kind of behavior, bitterness, jealousy, anger, perversion, you could put a long list of things that will make you worldly. Now look at this next part. He says, are you not acting like mere, what? Humans. And that has been something I've been wanting you to contrast as we talk about these two categories. One is worldly Christian, and what is the other one? Disciples. There's two kinds of saints. They are worldly Christians and what? Disciples. So what does Jesus want us to live like? What did Jesus come to make? What did he tell the disciples to make? So disciples are supposed to make what? Okay, so if we're not living like disciples, how are we living? Worldly. Y'all get it right there? Now, the worldly life is contrasted from the godly life in this sense. When you live worldly, you are said to be living as a mere human. A mere human. Now, what does that mean to live merely as a human? Is there an opportunity for me to live as a butterfly? Is there an opportunity for me to live as some, an alien creature? No, wh what is he contrasting this towards? Everybody go to 2 Peter. Remember, mere human. Everybody say mere human. Now look at the contrast in 2 Peter chapter 1. Does anybody want to shout out what the contrast of living a mere human life is? To what? What is the contrast? What? To living in a what kind of nature? Divine nature. Look at this right here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a what kind of life? A godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Look at verse 4. Through these, his own glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises. How many believe in the promises of God? Amen. That through them you may participate in the what? What kind of nature? Now back, uh, divine nature, now back in 1 Corinthians, he was rebuking them, saying they were living a mere, a mere, what kind of life? A mere human life. But Peter says we should be sharing in what kind of nature? So now you see the contrast. A worldly Christian lives in a mere human nature. A disciple shares in the divine nature of God. Now, quickly to dispel any theological problems you would have with this, this does not give us divinity with Christ. It is his and his alone. Christ, uh, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, are alone the triune God, Yahweh, that we serve. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so there is no divinity being shared with humanity. But the divine nature has attributes. These things are called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things come from God. God, the Bible says in 1 John, is what? 
love. See, God is love, and from love comes joy, peace, patience. Is everybody with me? So when we are sharing in the divine nature, he is sharing with us his qualities, his ability to live right, to live righteous. What does righteous mean? To live right lives. Today's message is going to be the path of righteousness. Now, if you go, just don't, don't turn there now, but if you look at a different time, in Matthew uh, 6, um, it says, Be ye perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. And First Peter says, Be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so how are we perfect? Do we get our own perfection from our own human ability, or does it come from God's divine nature? Perfection comes from his divine nature, right? How do we get to be holy? Do we get holy by our own self or God's nature? How are we perfect, by our nature or God's nature? Okay, now when the Bible says he who made, uh, put the scripture in 2 Corinthians something, uh, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of 521. Let's give it up for the scholar. Come on. Pastor Jared, he always does it. That's my man. Yes, he is. Oh, baby, come on. I just felt like breaking out into song. Second Corinthians 5.21. Aren't you happy you're in church this morning? And we're not to the message yet, and that's okay. Because this is the message, is it not? Here it is, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? Righteousness of God. Is everybody tying this together? I mean, two of you are tying it together. I really need, I need some feedback right now. I need a survey as your pastor. Okay, let's take this to a conversational tone right now. I want you to be 100% honest. If you understand the first message that I preached and I have re-preached every single week since then, and I'm going to summarize what it is right now. I'm going to have you raise your hand, but not yet. You're an eager beaver, but you're going to get the chance to raise your hand, okay? <laughs> I love you so much. Here we go. If you understand there's two kinds of people in the world, sinner and saints, and then in the category of saints, there are saints who live worldly and then those who live like disciples. If you understand that, Honestly, you say, Pastor, I really got it. We don't have to go over it anymore. I think we can move on. If you really got it, raise your hand. Okay. Okay, that's about most of you. Now, some of you just faking the funk right now. You're just like, move on to the next thing. But no, I really wanted to make sure you all got it. So everybody got it? Okay, now let's go to the next message. Soul theology. Had a little pity patty party last week about how this is the most like underwatched, like uh, underappreciated message out of the whole ser series. It's like it's like that message that nobody likes. It's like the Cinderella message. And the reason I think that it, it, it doesn't get as much attention on Facebook or YouTube is uh, well, first of all, I'm insecure for even caring about it. Let me just confess that to you. Because why should I even care, right? Just preach it and tell them, Pastor, what God said, and don't worry about it. That you know, that's that's not sometimes easy. It's not always easy easy to do that. Sometimes you feel like little Elijah coming down from the mountain, being in a little valley, being fed by little ravens, and you just got to cry a little tear and say they don't understand. They don't understand. <laughs> no, but this, <laughs> that's like the pitifulest laugh I've ever received in this church, but I received the pitiful laughs because I'm expressing a pity patty party, but I'm taking off that hat and I'm putting on the Holy Ghost party hat. Amen. And ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Okay, now the whole, the whole thing here, soul theology, is just the idea that, number one, when you were born again, not only was your spirit saved, your soul was saved. 
So that's just a theological thing I spent a lot of time writing on, studying. I actually exegeted the whole book of 1 Peter so that you could really see this in a clear way. Some of you are just take it for granted, and that's awesome because you're just like, yeah, pastor said it, I believe it. But I would want people to really understand it, especially if they've been taught differently, okay? So soul theology now says, who are you on the inside? I am a saved person. I am not a split personality. I am not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I have been born again, and I have the mind of Christ. I am this righteousness in God, this one person. Now, number two, what does offer me temptation, what does offer to me a different way of thinking is my flesh, which is the physical body. And I think that we've got a great understanding of this, but just go quickly to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. Just go there quickly, and then I think we can move through this and get to the message today. How many are ready for Psalm 23? You guys ready? Amen. So let's just look at this because I'm so excited to show it to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. This portion of Peter's letter, he is summarizing what God did in their lives when they were born again. Everybody say born again. Change the translation, please, to the ESV. Uh, the NIV does not translate the word yourselves here correctly. It is the Greek word psyche, and it should be soul. It makes better sense to what I'm showing you here today. So just uh, click right up, right below there to that little uh, arrow right there. Boom. Library. And go to ESV. ESV. Yeah, we're going to go down two more. There it is. One more, baby. You can do it. Let's give it up for the sound boot today, making it happen. Making it rain Bible version, y'all. Got that ESV unlocked. Here we go. Verse 22 through 23. Having purified your souls. So what was purified when I got saved? My soul. So if people say, I'm being tempted after becoming a Christian, is temptation its origin? Is it in your soul? It can't be because your soul has been purified. Where does temptation come from? The flesh, your body. See, sometimes we get lost in that Greek word flesh, sarx, and we think it's some mystical thing. No, the sarx is literally your body with five senses. And how does it move into your temptation area through your brain? Okay, now let's just pause here. Let's not get to this one. I'm telling you, it's a deep message. Y'all got to study it to understand it. But I'll give you just the heavy, revy, and simplified form. And think about it. And I had graphs for this. And I don't know, would the graphs help right now? Should I pull up the message, the little graphs? Okay, pull up the message with the graphs. Let's give it up for the sound booth back there. Amen. While they're doing that, look at your neighbor right now and tell them three things that you're thankful for since being born again. Since being born again, I'm thankful for... What? What are you thankful for? What has God done since you've been born again? What has he done in your life? He's changed me. He's given me a new mind and a family. What has he done for you? Don't be nervous. I know those little mics are really old. Give me one second. Don't be nervous. One second. Boom. We love you. We love you. That's what happens when you sit on the front row. We're going to pull up this message, Soul Theology. Okay, so think about this, because I know we have people from other uh, backgrounds other than just MPI. I want you to think about this. It's got 13 likes. Come on, give it up for 13 likes. Insecure pastors feeling a little bit more love now. I would like it to get it to 25, though. No, I'm just kidding. 
I'm kidding. Whoever's there did not like it. Y'all got to like it. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, come on. Scroll all the way up. Let's, let's go. Everybody go. Charts, charts, charts. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, here are the charts. They were there. Now they're here. Okay. So here's the way we look at it. Who, who are you when you were created? God gave you a body, brain, organs, five senses, your soul, mind, will, and emotions. The spirit, that's the life that God gave to you. In, in Genesis, the Bible says when he breathed into man, this, this clay model, when he breathed into him, he became a living soul. Uh, the Old Testament was translated into the Greek, the Septuagint. And when you look at the word living being, from Hebrew to Greek, it is psyche, the same word that I just read that is found there in Peter, that your souls have been purified. And it goes on to say when you're born again, and we'll hopefully get back to that. Okay, so this is what you're like without Christ. You have the spirit of the age, and this doesn't, on the inside of you, and this doesn't mean you're demon-possessed. The Bible can refer to spirits in two different senses. Spirit as in a being, that's a spirit, like an angelic spirit or demonic spirit, the Holy Spirit, a human spirit. But also the Bible can refer to a spirit in an attitude, in a sense of being, like how you are, like teen spirit. The Bible can also refer to that. So when it says that uh, in Ephesians 2, that the spirit of the age is in them, it doesn't mean we were all demonically possessed being robots of the devil it just means in our bodies we chose with our souls to serve the attitude of the world okay and i may be i might be complicating things everybody just say charts let's just go to the second thing here we go it gets easier as i stop talking we just look at pictures now this is what god did there everybody, everybody say oh Okay, now this is what we're talking about. When you were born again, it wasn't just a spiritual rebirth. It was also a solical rebirth. That's what I am presenting to you today. That is what soul theology is. Your soul was born again. Now, please go back, uh, do a side swipe, bring us back to that scripture so we can see it clearly. Second, First um, Peter, rather, First Peter, verse 22, it says that, you have purified your souls. Everybody say, purified our souls. See, that has been purified by your obedience to the truth. For from a, um, You were purified by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a what kind of heart? Pure heart, okay? So uh, the Bible refers to your heart and your soul very much in the same way. A heart is not a separate thing from a soul, okay? So the Bible says your soul's been purified and your heart, uh, your, your soul's been purified and your heart is pure. So where would contemptation come from a dirty thing? No. And does God save imperfectly or perfectly? Okay, so it doesn't come from your spirit either. And I'll show you right here because since you have been what? Born again. Where was I born again? In my spirit and in my soul. But where does it first come from? Where did Jesus say it starts? In our spirit. He said what is born of the flesh is flesh and what is born of the spirit is spirit. So the same way God breathed into us in the book of Genesis and made us a spiritual being with a soul, when we are born again in our spirit, our souls are purified. Okay, about five of you got it. I'm going to say it again. We were a lump of clay. God breathes into us. A soul comes alive and becomes a spiritual being. When we are born again through the Holy Spirit, our spirits become new and our souls become purified. Our hearts become pure. That is the default position the moment you're born again according to the Bible. Amen? Now, going to the third message. The first one was knowing who you are, sinner or saint, and as a saint, are you living as a disciple or a worldly Christian? That's the first message. The second message was soul theology, just understanding that. Bam. 
When I was born again, my soul was purified. And number two, I faced temptation from my flesh. Everybody say amen. Okay, now the third message was how we are tempted. Where does temptation come from? Okay, and there are two places it comes from, inward and outward. When we have inward temptation, where is it from? That body. So uh, go back to the chart, please, and we'll just, we'll go back and forth. We'll have some fun. Okay, scroll up, please. Uh, or down, down, yeah, going down, bringing us to a new point, a new, this direction. There we go. Okay, so boom, you're new, but your flesh is still there. Now, once again, people have taught that your flesh is your mind, will, and emotions. They have, they have added the flesh, your body, to your soul, and I'm saying it's separated. When the Bible calls your flesh your flesh, it's literally talking about your body. And I gave you this illustration. Remember, I helped you see this before, which, and we'll do the mind experiment right now. Okay, everybody ready to get freaked out again? You ready to have some fun? Okay, where are you in relationship to your eyes? Is there a little you behind your physical eyes? Where are you? Where are you? In you. I'm here. I'm somewhere in here. I have a heart, and I'm in, and Jesus is in my heart. Oh, you mean that cardiovascular organ that goes like this, and it can be transplanted? Did Jesus get transplanted to go somewhere else? See, when the Bible is saying you are a soul, you have a heart, you're, you're this kind of a being, it is a spiritual thing. Spiritual, not material. And that brings us to what we call dualism versus materialism. A world without God believes only in materialism, in your five senses and in your brain. And they consider your brain to be where your consciousness comes from. But that's not what we believe. We believe in what's called dualism. We believe we're spiritual creatures that live inside of a physical body that literally use our body as a ship to sail through life in or a car to drive in. Are you guys with me? The driver is not the car. We are not our bodies. How do I know this biblically? Some simple things just biblically. When your brain dies, your body dies. Does your soul also die or does your soul go somewhere? It goes somewhere. Why? Because it's a spiritual substance. It's a spiritual thing. How many believe in spiritual things and physical things? then you believe in dualism. If you believe in a godless world, you only believe in materialism. Now, I have, as a part of apologetic studies, uh, a Nobel Prize winning scientist who was a neurologist explains very well uh, how we as conscious minds use our brains. And the idea here is your brain, that physical organ, is different than your mind. Okay, your mind is a part of your soul. Can I prove it to you again? The you inside of you, if this body dies, does it still live on? And according to the Bible, does it still live on? Do you have thoughts after you die? Do you have memories after you die? How is that if all you have is a brain? This is the deep part of soulology. Are you guys with me? It's just a little deep stuff. Just hang in here with me. Because we are not our brains, we are souls with spirit, spiritual substance using our bodies for this time. Now, what does the Bible say? After our bodies die, our souls either go to heaven in the glorious presence of God or go to hell. And then we await a resurrection. And at the resurrection, the wicked get a body that never dies and will forever suffer. So you're not a disembodied soul even if you go to the lake of fire. You're brought back to your body. Now, in heaven, do we always stay in heaven as disembodied souls? No, we come and rule and reign in, with Christ in a resurrected body for glory. Are you guys with me? Okay. So there's our temptation now is this body of death. Can I show it to you in the scriptures? 
Okay, just quickly, go to James. Quickly, James 1.13. And um, I'm either boring some of you guys. Let me give you three options as you're turning to James. Either A, I'm boring you. Number two, um, I have repeated this enough times that you're no longer excited about it. Or number three, I'm just really insecure about what's happening right now because it's really quiet. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what's going on. So I'm at a mysterious place as your pastor, but I will tread through this joyfully. I will just keep having fun, and we'll get to the message. Amen? Let no one who is tempted say, I'm being tempted of God, or because God cannot be tempted with evil, or he tempts no one. But each person is tempted away when he's enticed by his own what? His own desire. Then when the desire conceived gives birth to sin, when sin is fully grown, it brings forth what? Death. We are tempted by our own what? Evil desire. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Where does evil desire come from? See, this is now that discussion. Somebody would say, well, it comes from my soul. And there's a good part of me called my spiritual life. And then there's a bad part of me called my soulical life. And my soul wrestles with my spirit. And sometimes I'm a Dr. Jekyll. Sometimes I'm a Mr. Hyde. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible teaches you were spiritually born again. Your soul was purified. And now what you wrestle against is literally a physical body with a brain and senses and feelings. Can I explain to you how that works as you're turning here? Go all the way down to the bottom, please, of chapter 5. Can I explain to you how temptation comes through your physical body? How many of you are cool, like, right now? Like, this is, in, you're, you're having a good time pretty much in church, right? If we crank the heat to 110, how many would start to get irritable? See, why is it? Has your soul been affected? Your soul is in a place, the Bible says, seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Spiritually, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? But why would you now become irritable? And if you started getting mad and angry and bitter with me, would you come into sin? So where did the temptation come from? Did the temptation originate from your spiritual life? Did it originate from your soul? No, it originated from your body. The same thing is with the lust of the eyes. You see things, you desire those things, and then you decide whether or not to act on those things, okay? Now, where does the Bible say they come from? It comes from our flesh. Go on down. Uh, the Verse 24, please. There we go. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How many believe that? Can I show you again in 1 Peter? No, you all don't want to see it. Okay. <laughs> I was like all excited. I want to see it again. Ish, thank you. Can we just give it up for Ish today? He's my Ed McMahon. I'm trying to do it, dude. I'm trying. I try so hard. Bam, tie it together. Tie it together. Can we go back to the notes for today's message? Today's message. Very simple. Know who you are. Are you a sinner or a saint? Who are you today? As a saint, are you living as a worldly Christian or are you living as a disciple? How are you living? As a disciple. According to the Bible, was your soul and spirit both saved and purified, or was only your soul? According to the Bible, were you made a new creation, or are you still jacked up? What are you? Okay. Two places temptation comes from. What's the first place? Inward. And where does inward temptation come from? Your flesh, your body. Could Adam and Eve have inward temptation? No. That's why they needed a serpent. See, when God created us, he gave us free will. We had to be tempted to make a choice. Could temptation have come from their body? Why couldn't it have come from their body? Because they were perfect in their body. So where did temptation have to come from? The second source, outward. Why, was Jesus, why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? So that his body would not be a source of temptation, that he could live a blameless, perfect life and be sacrificed. He was what was called theologically by Paul the second Adam. 
Adam is the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. Why is he called by Paul the second Adam? Because he's the only, the second person in all human history to be born with a perfect body. That's the purpose for the virgin birth. Could Jesus have been tempted inwardly? Where did Jesus' temptation have to come from? Outward, the devil. Now, do we only have inward temptation? No. The inward temptation that we have is intensified by the devil. The devil then comes to us in our desires and intensifies those desires. And I gave you that example before. The devil is not going to have, Tony, would you just stand up for us, please? Uh, Tony, would you just turn around for us all? Thank you. Let's give it up for Tony. Amen. That does not tempt me. That does not tempt me. So the devil tonight cannot bring that back into my memory. You see that? Hey, Joe, let me wake you up. Did you see that guy? You know, see, the devil's not going to do that to me. Now, when I wasn't married, Nancy, would you stand up? Do your little turnaround. No, you ain't turning around. Mama ain't doing okay. Let's just give it up for Nancy. She put down her foot. See, that was a battle. Oh, Jesus, I, I know I can make it, Lord. I know I can make it to our honeymoon. I know I can make it. Oh, Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, that's all I was thinking about, the blood of Jesus and all this and that. Why? Because that's a temptation, right? So what does the devil do? Does the devil bring things to us that are not already inwardly tempting to us? No, the devil brings to us what is already our desires, and he intensifies them. That's what he does. And he does it for two purposes, to get us to doubt what God said we could do and to get us to doubt who God said we are. So when the devil came to uh, Adam and Eve, he got them to doubt what God said. He said to them, did God really say? And he got them to doubt the word of God, hence them falling into sin. Jesus did not fall into sin, but the first temptation the devil gave him was to get him to doubt his identity. He said to Jesus, if you are the son of God. Okay, so all the temptation the devil's bringing against you is not just for sin's sake. It's not that the devil just likes people stealing. It's not like the devil just likes, um, you know, sex outside of marriage. No, what the devil gets out of you sinning and the reward for him in that temptation is for you to diminish the image of God in your life and to diminish the plan of God in your life. To get you to doubt who God said you are and to get you to stop doing what God said you can do. So how do we fight this temptation? And we learned it in that lesson through the what? The word of God. We speak the word of God. Jesus, when he defeated the devil, because we look to Jesus as our example, because he didn't fall like Adam and Eve, correct? He beat the devil, did he not? How did he do it? By using the word of God. Are you guys with me? Okay, so that's what we do. We use the word of God. Now go back to Peter, and you'll see it quickly just from what I was sharing before. 1 Peter 1.22, and then we're going to the message. How many ready for the message? Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says it so simply. Here it is. Get ready to have your mind blown. Boom. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the what? The truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a what? Pure heart. So am I doing things to get a pure heart? Or am I doing things from a pure heart? See, when I get saved, I get what? 
a pure heart, now I can love my wife as Christ loves the church. I am not trying to love my wife as Christ loves the church so Jesus can keep scrubbing away with, uh, you know, SOS pads at my heart. And just one day maybe I'll get a pure heart. No, I get a pure heart when I'm born again. And from a pure heart, I love my wife. So that's the way you got to understand yourself. You were given the pure heart. You were given the righteousness of Christ. Your soul was purified when you were born again. If you weren't born again, it doesn't apply to you. If you were born again, you need to know who you are and do what God said to do. So I love you from a pure heart because God gave it to me. Since what? We've been born again, not of perishable seed. So he uses the illustration of a seed being planted in your heart, and that seed bringing forth the fruit, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and all those things. And so now he tells us that the seed is not perishable, it's imperishable through the living and abiding word of So what is it that saved me? The word, faith in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So what saved me? Faith in God's word of what Jesus Christ did for me. Are you with me? We preach what Jesus did. You believe and you're saved. And what keeps you living the holy life God has for you? Believing in the word of God. Four, look at it right here. Four, let's go to verse 24. For all flesh is like grass. See, your flesh is going to go away. All its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, a false, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news, the gospel, the evangelion that was preached to you. How many got some good news up in this place? How many believe that? Your flesh is like grass, but your soul has been purified when you were born again by the word of God. Now it's time, just keep on going. Now it's time, so put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into that salvation. Come on, how many want to grow up into what God gave you? How many want to put on your big boy pants and your big girl dresses and live like Jesus told you to? That's what it's about, growing up into that salvation. I'm not trying to grow up to get salvation. I'm growing up in salvation. My kids have already been given a car. It's in the driveway right now, but they can't drive it yet. they got to grow up into it. But it's already theirs. Hello, somebody. This ministry is already theirs. This ministry is already the spiritual disciples even that are here. But they got to grow up in I can't hand the mic yet to this brother. he got to grow up in this mamma jamma so we can drop it like it's hot. But it's already his. Come on, somebody, get excited. Does anybody believe you're a good father or mother? Can I hear an amen? How many believe our father is the best father? we got the best dad. Amen. Now you're ready for Psalms 23. Go there with me, please. I'm so excited. I'm excited we're living like Jesus told us to live. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack everything. I'm busted and disgusted. I have to beg to get what I want. I'm half sinner and half saint. Somebody help me. I need to read somebody else's book just to get through another day. Let me tell you something. Nothing wrong with Bible colleges, nothing wrong with books, nothing wrong with conferences. But I want everybody to look up at me. Please hear this from your pastor. There is not one thing any pastor or preacher is selling that you need. All you need is Jesus. You get a shepherd, you'll know who he is. If you know who he is, you'll know who you are. 
Okay, so don't get bought up into this uh, these these things. I appreciate Christian worship music. I appreciate colleges. I'm you know going to be getting my doctor and all that. But listen to me, a born again saint with the Word of God is a terror to the devil and is prosperous and blessed. The world could be against him, but he will succeed. Oh, are you listening to me? Get Jesus and understand who he is. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I'm not plat. I'm not some Georgia runaway slave. I am a sheep of this shepherd. Who do you believe that you are? See, I believe this is a new covenant promise. I believe this is a, how do I know it's a new covenant promise? Because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. So who is our shepherd? Jesus, this is a new covenant promise. Oh, if I could just read it all without preaching every five seconds. I'm going to read the whole thing then go back to preaching. You all want to hear it? Let's put it in that old King James swagger language. Can we do that? Somebody say, bring on the King James swag. Oh, praise God. We're going to read it out the way you guys learned it. Most of us learned it out the King James. This is not just a funeral song. This is not something you just read with a tear coming down your eyes. This is a new covenant promise to you to say, this is my identity. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, what if you're a persecuted believer in Iran right now? You still lack no good thing. God is with you. What if you go through every trouble you can imagine, every devil from hell comes against you? You still lack no good thing. I believe the word of God, not your circumstance. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd. Let's say it together. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo! Hallelujah! We're excited about that, right? It's not because a preacher just preaches. You're excited about God. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. We love you, Jesus. You're a good shepherd. Hallelujah, Jehovah-Rohi, my shepherd. The Bible says that, and I choose to believe it. That's who I am. Who are you today? Do you believe that? I, I can preach it to you, and I can just sing it to you. I can keep sweating up here for you, but you have to make a simple decision of faith. Do you believe Jesus is my shepherd? Look at the notes, please. John 10, 11 says, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep know my voice and another voice they will not listen to. When you know who your shepherd is, you will know who you are and will lack no good thing. He said in Matthew 5, 48, that we could be who he is and be like him. It said, be ye perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. Completion, maturity is in God, and it's given to us. You understand that, amen. 1 Peter 1.16 says that he's given us all things according to his divine nature to live a godly life. There's nothing you lack today to live a godly life. It says every temptation you'll face, he'll make a way of escape for you. There's never a time you will sin where God will say, hey, I understand you couldn't have done any better than that. Anytime you sin, he'll say, I'm your shepherd. I was making a way out. You didn't lack nothing. 
Well, I felt this way. Yeah, your feelings will lie to you. Your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. Well, I don't know the difference sometimes. Well, it's the word of God that divides between your soul and spirit. The word of God will tell you what's what. Well, I don't always think that way. Be renewed in your mind. Be renewed. Be brought back to the original thought of the mind of Christ. Be brought back to the original revelation of what the gospel did for you. We all have doubts. We've all sinned since being a Christian. But that's not the way we're supposed to live. I'm supposed to look to Christ as my example. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, looking unto Christ. Right? Looking unto him who joyfully endured the shame, you know, despising the shame, and set down, uh, um, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us therefore lay aside every sin and weight that so easily hinders us. And looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sorry, I messed up the original quote. I have to go through the whole thing. How many of y'all memorize scripture like that, by the way? Oh, y'all looking at me cray-cray? I memorize passages, baby, not just Jesus wept around here. But we look unto Jesus, who is the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. So how am I saved? By faith. How do I live holy? By faith. How do I finish my, my race? By faith. Who gave me that faith? Jesus. Who's going to keep that faith? Jesus. Who's going to bring it to completion? Jesus. So what do I need? Just Jesus. Know who my shepherd is. He's my shepherd. And through him I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you sometimes need the Lord to make you lie down? You ever had to make a child lie down? Now, I'm not talking about if I had to lay down one of you teenagers getting all rebellious. Like, lay you down, Jack. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking like a child. You ever had a child and you're, like, trying to lay them down? They keep kicking out their feet, keep putting out their feet. And then you got to kind of, like, sweep their feet out and then let them lay down. And then they try to get up again and you got to kind of gently do that. That's Jesus. You're trying to say, well, Jesus, I just want to worry about my job. I just want to worry about my account, this economy. And he's like, you just lay down. I got this. Well, Jesus, I just got to keep thinking about it all night long. I got No, just lay down. I got this. Oh, come on. I wish I get half of you all to believe he make you lie down in green pastures. Is anybody a sheep of the Lord up in this place? Or are we playing make-believe? Did I just ask you if you are Darth Vader's son, Luke Skywalker? Or did I ask you something that's real up in this thing? We're not at a Star Trek convention, are we? I mean, this is the Bible. Are you a sheep, and is he your shepherd? Then if that's the truth, then the Bible says he'll make you lie down, and you will sense his spirit doing that. How many of you, before you've gotten nervous, before you've gotten angry, you felt the Lord trying to give you a different direction? You felt him trying to persuade you to do something else? We call this conviction. We call this the leading of the Lord. David said it's being laid down like a sheep in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. Lord says, come on, follow me through this trouble. Well, I'm in a troubled area right now, Jesus. He says, I understand, but I got quiet waters right over here. I got a, I got a place that nobody else knows about. Come right here. I'm going to walk you through the storms of your family. I'm going to walk. Yeah, there's still going to be storms. Yeah, there's still going to be problems, but I'm just going to walk you through them, and I'm going to bring you a place that nobody else knows, and these are quiet waters. These waters will refresh you. What do sheep eat? Grass. What do they drink? Water. What do we drink? The Spirit of God. What do we eat? The Word of God. In our private devotional life, he says, come on, I'll feed your soul. I will nourish you. I will give you the grass that you need. He said, I'm the bread of life. He also said, Come to this water and you'll never thirst again. The word of God and the Holy Spirit does what? Refreshes your soul. 
It says he leads me and guides me in paths that are right, the right paths. Now, this is the whole title of the message, and I don't need to keep preaching. And next week, we'll talk about something else. But here's the whole title of today's message, Paths of Righteousness. Can everybody say that with me? Paths of Righteousness. Because I think this kind of puts it all together. Because, uh, you know, you got to be on a path of righteousness to go to the water. you got to be on a path of righteousness to go to the grass. you got to be on a path of righteousness to go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how you get out of that mess is on the path of righteousness. It's in the path of righteousness that leads you to the table where you sit down and eat good things while your enemies are fighting. It's that path of righteousness that brings you to the place where you're anointed and your cup overflows. It's that path of righteousness that as you walk on it, goodness and mercy follow you. You look behind you, you look around you, and goodness and mercy is around you. It's a path of righteousness. And it's the path of righteousness that leads you to the house of the Lord. That's that path. Are you all with me? Hence the title of the message. But I want you to see it in Isaiah as a prophetic promise. This means that someone prophesied it before even the time of Jesus that we would be on this path of righteousness. Turn there quickly, or rather Proverbs. Uh, Solomon prophesied this term quickly to Proverbs 4.18. And I want you to see what this is like today for the born-again believer. Everybody say the path of righteousness. Look at this, because I don't got time to preach everything that's on that path. I know if you read your Bible, you'll figure it out. Go to discipleship. You'll get more insight to it. Rachel, would you come to the keys, please? Come on. It says, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Would you bring that back down to the NIV? We got a little deep on that. Shineth. We got we to just bring that down a little bit. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter unto full day. Do you want to be on that path? Bible says that when we walk with God, we go from glory to glory to glory, shining ever brighter in the presence of God. That's the path of righteousness. God lighting the way before you. He wants you to know his path. When we talk about us being God's sheep and him being our shepherd and making us lie down in green pastures, bringing us beside quiet waters, leading us in the paths of righteousness. Go back to the notes, please. What is he doing that for? Why does he do that? He does that so that he may restore our soul. Some of you all need your soul restored. For Some of you have not been born again, and you don't know what it's like to be satisfied by God. You've tried money, education, family. You've tried some illicit things, drugs, perversion. And no matter what you do, you can't get your soul to feel right. You're not at peace. Only God restores the soul. And then there's others here today. Yeah, you read it, you, you, you believe it, but you're not following that path. And so your soul is at turmoil. And many times as a pastor, when I meet people like that, you question God. How many Christians have ever been through a valley before? Come on. How many Christians here have ever had some fights with enemies before, either in the spiritual or real people that just did not like you? Doesn't the Bible actually even promise that you're going to have that here? I mean, it doesn't say you won't have enemies. It doesn't say you won't have valleys. So why would you, if you go into a valley, find that shocking? Life's tragedy will happen, my friends. Life's disappointments will all happen to us as sheep. But this is a promise of our identity. 
This says, even if we're Solomon Northrup, brought down to a New Orleans plantation being called Platt, that God still knows who we are. That he still has his eye on us and hasn't forgotten about us. That's what God is saying to us. Even if you're not at a quiet stream, in a green pasture, if you're in a scary place, he's still with you. What is the shadow of death? So many times we think of the shadow of death as the one that has passed, and now they're going from death to life, uh, or uh, from this world to the next, rather. But that's not really the shadow of death. David's shadow of death was the battlefield where he saw dead people all around him. And he was saying, in this place of death, where death hangs its shadow on me, I follow God into his path out of it. So many of you here have a fear of death. You've lost people you love and you're hurt by that. You're afraid what will happen if something happens to you or to your family. You're afraid of what life will be like for those that you leave behind and you fear death. The Bible's saying don't fear death. Don't fear death. You know, I love my mom and dad, but I'm not to fear losing my mom and dad. You know that if all of us live a normal, healthy life, we'll outlive our parents. We're not supposed to fear that. And then he says he blesses us in front of our enemies. When the Bible says we're more than conquerors, what does that mean? Does that mean now when God's battling, like we come over with God and start handling business like tag team and the devil? No, more than a conqueror means we get the benefit of the one who conquered, but we don't do any of the fighting. And that's what this psalm is saying. In the presence of your enemies. So take, I'll just go spiritual and physical real quick in closing. You may have actual people in your life that hate you. And the Bible says even then you're not fighting them. It's against flesh. Uh, your vows not against flesh and blood. It's against spirits. But let's just say, he, you know, the devil's really using people. And, and they're, you know, talking about you on your job. Or your family members are, are, are really against you serving God. Or, or maybe there's a, a, a thing going on with your children or something. You may get tempted to try to solve this problem in your own human effort. And the Bible says that won't solve anything. Spanking that child will not spank the devil out of them. In other words, a fighting your enemy will not do it. Responding back to your coworker the way they're responding to you won't do it. So what should you do? Sit back, eat on the goodness of God, and let them be dealt with by the Lord. You ain't got time for that. You're too blessed to be stressed. Now, if you want to say to Jesus, I don't want to sit down, let me get a sword, well, then you're going to get all the stress that that brings. Jesus, I don't want you to handle this situation in my life. I'm going to handle it. Well, then you're going to get just what you asked for. Jesus didn't say, come on, let's fight side by side. He said, let me sit you down in the presence of your enemies, and I'll bless you. And what can that look like? That can look like you being like Jesus, enduring suffering. In a persecuted nation, I mentioned before, how do they go through this? They feast on the goodness of God while their body is wasting away. Read the story of Richard Warmbrand in the, you know, um, in the book that he said, uh, Tortured for Christ. Inside his soul and spirit, he was so full of the joy of God, even though in the midst of despair, he feasted on the Lord's goodness. That's how he made it through. He didn't take it into his own hands. He feasted on the Lord's goodness. And look at this. It says, he anoints me and makes my cup overflow. How many know what the word Christ means? It means the anointed one, doesn't it? You all know what that means? 
This is a new covenant promise. You are anointed. Not only, see, David was a king. He was be really the only one that could relate to this along with the priest. But this is now a new covenant promise for all who are in Christ. We are anointed the same way Christ was anointed. How did Jesus' physical body get anointed at the baptism? The Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a what? After he left, or before he left, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, how did he say we would get power? He said, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my what? Witnesses, and you shall receive power, right? To be my witnesses, where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other parts of the earth. So how did Jesus and his body get to do what he did? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you get to do what you get, uh, what God wants you to do? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you say, I can't, you are basically going against God's plan for your life. Because it was never based on your ability. See, sometimes we think, well, God saved me, but I take it off from here and I sanctify myself. God saved me, but now I do my own good works. No, the same way God took you as a dead, filthy, rotten sinner and redeemed you into a righteous saint of God is the same way he allows you as a saint of God to live holy. And so what happens if you don't live holy? You follow another command. It talks about repentance, and you're quick to have your heart purified from the sin that you had committed so you can live in a state of purity before God. Another new covenant promise, Psalms 27. The Bible says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he that has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Do you have clean hands and a pure heart? That's the only way you can receive from God, right? And then we move on. It says, his goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. When you're following God's path, his blessings and mercy follow you. Does this mean we're all going to become millionaires? Does this mean, that once again, that we're not going to face sickness, sorrow, and despair in this world? No, it just means when we go through them, we go through them with God's goodness and mercy. How does a Christian go through sickness with God's goodness and mercy? Not committing suicide and taking the cowardly way out. We die in dignity. Amen? Put my children on the left hand and the right hand of me and let me go out with angels escorting me to heaven. Amen? Praise God. We're not afraid of death. Death's been conquered. How does a Christian go through poverty? How does a Christian go through financial troubles with the goodness and mercy of God? You took it from me, that's okay, but you can't take God's blessing from me. I'll get up and work again and get back at it, and God will provide for me. You threw, they threw Joseph in a pit. God blessed him with a good master to work for. Hey, you may not want to be a slave. I got it. But if you're going to be a slave, might as well be working for a good dude. Ain't going to beat you all the time, right? That's favor. I'll take it. And then all of a sudden he gets thrown in jail because somebody lies about him. You ever read the Bible? It talks about people with some problems, doesn't it? But what does it show? God's goodness and mercy. When he gets thrown into jail, before you know it, he's getting favor. Now, some of y'all may not want that kind of favor, an extra bowl of rice or a thing of water, but I'm telling you what, I'll take that favor. But how many know he kept going until he got Pharaoh's favor? He was favored in the pit. He was favored in prison. He got favored with Pharaoh. Some of y'all don't want McDonald's favor. You want to hop all the way up to Donald Trump's favor. You got to start with McDonald's favor. Work and let God bless you. The Bible says a man doesn't eat. He can't, if it doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Start with McDonald's blessing. Some of y'all want to go to great colleges, start with a community college. Some of y'all came out with great degrees and you want to go right into your field, but they don't need you right now. You need to go into the field that they want you at. Maybe you got to work at a park district for $10 an hour, but you got to receive favor. you got to work at what you got. That's what the Bible's talking about, and it'll bless you along the way. 
Hello, I was blessed in my home Bible study. I was blessed when I came to this building. I was blessed when I went to Irving. I was blessed when I left Irving. I was blessed when I came here. I'll be blessed when I go home. How many want to be blessed wherever you go? you got to own that for yourself. Woo! And how do I know this is a new covenant promise? He, Bible says, will live with me forever. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says that we are the temple of God. Matthew 28 says, I will be with you unto the end of the age. This is not just a, uh, a metaphorical. This is not just a symbolic blessing. This is a real reality. The sheep of God have the presence of God everywhere they go. God is with you. He's with you. When you wake up tomorrow, he's with you. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, God is with you. Can we walk this path of righteousness together? Does anybody want to walk it? Amen. Anybody want to skip on that thing? I guess the yellow brick road. Come on. Would you stand up? Let's give God one more hand clap of praise. Hallelujah, I'm on that path. In the name of Jesus, I'm on that path. Altar workers, would you come as the band come, please? Would you go to that passage in closing, brothers, that we went to at one point? The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you said we are and everything you said we could do. I pray now that your word, God, would light a path before us and that we would walk it every day. With your head bowed and eyes closed, would you be honest with God right now? Is your soul purified? Is it refreshed? If it's not, would you ask Jesus to save you and to cleanse you right now? You either need to get saved or you need to get sanctified. Either way, would you pray it out right now? Lord, change me. Change my heart. Change my soul. Change my mind, my will, and emotions. Wash me clean. Hallelujah. Right now, any sin in your life can be repented. That is a gift of God, is forgiveness. Receive it now. Come on, I'm just starting with you right now who are here today. You're not living that life yet. You haven't fully committed to it. You're either a worldly Christian or a sinner. And God is saying he has so much more for you. Come to the fullness of God. Come to the fullness of God. Right now, be saved, be born again. And for the rest of us here today, that you would say, yes, I'm a disciple. I want to walk that path of righteousness. Would you right now take 30 seconds before we leave out of here to pray that psalm in your life? Make it real right now. Start off and just work your way through that psalm. Come on, pray it right now. You start off by just saying, Lord, I thank you for being my shepherd. By the way, in discipleship, I teach this as a prayer. There's these major points that you can pray right now. Just pray them over your life. The Lord's my shepherd. Thank him for salvation. Thank him for the blessing in your life. Lead you besides quiet waters, green pastures, paths of righteousness. Come on, pray that right now over your life, over your family. What is prayer? Prayer is an act of submission to God, asking for his will to be done and not your will. You are submitting your will to God's will. You're asking for his things to be done. Come on. Some of you may be going through a valley. Pray right now that his rod and staff will comfort you and that it will be tangible. Say, Lord, I need you. I need you through this situation. Pray it over your life. I need the Lord. God, I need you. I need more than just a Sunday service.
more than just a good preacher. I need the shepherd to hold me. Come on, you may be facing death, afraid of death. Have tragic in your, a tragedy in your life. Pray right now. The Lord will comfort you through that. Right now, some of you may have enemies. Pray over your life right now. The Lord will prepare that table to show you a place of rest. There is a place of rest in God right now. It's not a place of passivity. It's not a place where blah, say, blah. You say, let happen, sarah, sarah, let it happen. No, you rest and your battle is with trusting the Lord, not with your enemy. I'm not here to battle the enemy. I'm here to trust the Lord and let the Lord battle the enemy for me. I'm trusting God. Some of you may say, what about the armor? What about those things we take on? Yes, that is all a part of what we do in trusting God. But who gives us that victory? It is still Christ, my friends. It is all Christ. How many right now need a fresh anointing? Come on, you don't need to go to a televangelist meeting. You don't need to be somewhere special right now. You can receive a fresh anointing. How many want overflowing goodness in their life right now? Come on, just receive it fresh, anointing, shining brighter and brighter to the full light of day. From glory to glory. Come on, ask. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. The Bible says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Who wants a fresh anointing of the power of God? Who needs that overflowing power of the Holy Spirit? Right now, rivers of living water flow in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, rivers. Rivers. Anointing oil. In the name of Jesus, I receive Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many need goodness and mercy right now? You want to see goodness and mercy follow you right now in your life, in a situation right now. Come on, call it out. Goodness and mercy on my marriage. Goodness and mercy in my children. Goodness and mercy on my job. Goodness and mercy follow me. Follow me. See, there's people out there trying to teach you five steps to success that they want you to chase after success. Take these steps to success. But the Bible says it the other way around. When you come to Christ, success follows you. Hallelujah. What's stepping behind you is goodness and mercy. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things are given unto you. Now either Jesus is a liar or he's the king of kings able to fulfill what he said. Come on, who needs goodness and mercy today? I'm tarrying for you right now, saints, not for my behalf, but for your behalf. Pray it over your life in this house today. And lastly, how many believe you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Thank Him right now. Thank Him right now. You started off one way and you're ending the same way. Those are the bookends. The Lord's my shepherd and I'm with Him forever. Everything else in between, I'm on the path of righteousness. Now, before we go, pray for three people you know right now who are not on the path of righteousness and who will not dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, pray for them right now that they'll come back with you this, this time next week or they'll go to a life group or you can pray for them at your job. Right now, just lift them up right now. We pray for lost people to come home, to come to God, the good shepherd. Three people, Steve, Michelle. Come on, right now, bring them home, Jesus. I pray for my neighbors. Pray for them, Lord. I pray for Corey, my waiter, God.
at Buffalo Wild Wings, Jesus. We've made a friendship. I pray for him to be born again. Your heart is on the lost. In this season right now, it's on your people, it's on the lost. May we love you and may we love people. May we have that same heart. May we not just be content that we're in this house. May we pray for others to be in this house, our family members, our neighbors. In the name of Jesus.